Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this family. Um, thank you for the years before there was a facility, a building for Hope Covenant Church to meet in and all that you did then. Thank you for all the provision over the last 17 years of, of this family having a home base to love and serve our neighbors and neighborhoods and the world beyond us. Thank you for all the people that have come to Jesus um, because of this church family. And thank you that you've seen us through storms and we have been able to weather uh, hard stuff. Uh, but because of you, because of you, we can continue to trust and move forward. So thank you, God, for this new season that you have called us into as we move ahead into the things that you have uh, planted deep in our hearts, things that reflect you and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Um, so I saw that only a few of us got the memo here. Um, and I don't, I, I, what, I, what I'm delighted to see is that there are no Packer fans representing. Yeah. Just saying, just saying. Saying, yeah, I know, I hear you back there. And I would have wore a Cardinals jersey, but I, I, I only have an old Vikings jersey. And to be honest, Adrian Peterson's now a Washington Redskins. So this is, yeah, there's a problem with this, I'm sure. But I grew up in Minnesota. That's why I am a Vikings fan. You kind of get it born and bred into you. Um, and, and it's a disease. There is no cure. <laughs> Doesn't matter how many times they break our heart. We, we just keep coming back to it. And I, I cheer for the Cardinals um, as well. Uh, and, but it really stinks when both teams are doing terribly and they both lose on a Sunday. Then it's, yeah, that's no fun at all. So, but but uh, my, my heart, my original football team growing up was Minnesota Vikings. So um, I grew up in Minnesota and was there from the time I was born. And we moved a couple times for a year or two when I was younger to other states. But we'd always come back to Minnesota. Went to Bible college there. Um, had a short stint at a church in Wisconsin, but the problem is it was way too close to Green Bay, so. <clears throat> I'll stop with those now. All right, I'm sorry. Not sorry. Um, but I, uh, in, in 2000, though, um, when this six foot three uh, hippie down here was a baby, <laughs> uh, we moved to, our family moved to. Arizona. There was a church interviewing, and um, they had a couple hundred candidates, and, and uh, they chose uh, us, so we moved. We came here. I was 29 when I got here. Uh, Noah hadn't even turned one yet, and um, I, there, another time I wish I could just put pictures up on the screen, but I, I didn't think of it before. But, um, oh, here's the best part of moving from Minnesota. You suffer through that winter. It's finally summer, and we moved here. Guess what month we moved here? June. Yeah, June. Yeah, yep, wonderful. <laughs> In fact, I would have a recurring nightmare. I'm not kidding you. It would happen. I would wake up in a cold sweat, and I would be dreaming that just as soon as the weather got nice here in Arizona and started to get cold back in Minnesota, that I got fired from the church I was at, and I was going to be sent back to Siberia. I mean, Minnesota. <laughs> it, over and over. Um, and I thought, oh my goodness, that would be hell, right? But... But here we are, right? Here we are. And, and honestly, when I first moved here, I did think, ah, you know, it'll be a good adventure, probably a few years here, get some experience at this church, and then, you know, probably move back home. It's just going to be a, a few years. Um, how many of you know that, that a few years, I, so I was 29, so where I am now, that's more than just a few years. In fact, I just turned 50 last month. So I've been here longer than anywhere that I've lived uh, at all. 
My, my friend John Lynch, who some of you know, he's spoken here before, he said something like this about Arizona. He said, you know, you move here, and at first in the summertime you think, how does anyone survive here? And you figure you'll move on soon. And he said, but then you fall in love with the people that God gives you. Well, then you're stuck. <laughs> and in a good way, because even though it took me forever to get used to the brown desert, um, this became home for us. This became home. But I do, I remember when I first moved here, and some of you, because lots of us are transplants, right? You remember when you first moved here, you look around, nothing's familiar. The seasons are different. There's just two. Um, the weather is wonderful, enough to brainwash us for half the year, right? And to stay in. Um, but I remember, I would sometimes, you know, just look at, you know, even the block walls, and it just looked so different, so different, very little grass. Um, neighbors never knowing each other because you pull into your garage and you never come out, right? Um, that was fairly common in the neighborhood that I first lived in. And I remember when I first got here, sometimes I'd get lonely or I'd get discouraged, and I'd question, why am I here? Like, why, what, what am I supposed to do while I'm here? And, and is Arizona even where I'm supposed to be? Um, did I take a wrong turn somewhere? And I'd, it was amazing because when those questions would come, those doubts would come, and it was usually after a hard season, God was so faithful because when I would stop and listen, I could hear him speaking to me, reminding me in one way or another, saying, Doug, um, I have a purpose for you here in Arizona, and if you'll trust me to lead you, you'll get to partner with me to reach a little corner of this East Valley. So he would ask me, Doug, can you trust me? Will you trust me? And years later, after being here for a while, when my life kind of blew up and, and, uh, and my family um, blew up and we had to stop the church plant we were about to launch, and then I thought, okay, here's the timing. I really want to get out of the desert. But even then, God would ask me to trust him, to trust that he is at work in the place that he has me, and that expands to us. God is at work in the place where he has you, wherever we are and whatever we find ourselves doing or where we find ourselves doing life. Now, like many of you, um, obviously I was not a native, and you've probably heard the stats on the Phoenix metro area, that Phoenix is the fastest growing, or, or yeah, it's the fastest growing city in the U.S. It's the Fifth largest, depending on who you ask. Uh, on average, 222 people move to Phoenix area every day. And when they move, there's a variety of reasons, right? People are looking for something. They are, are maybe running from something. Maybe they're hunting for something, searching and hoping for something. And for some folks, they move here and it's better weather. Uh, others move here because it's a more affordable cost of living. Um, for others, it's a fresh start, right? It's a do-over. Um, for those like me, you know, it was a nice escape from shoveling snow. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Uh, yeah. Um, some people just came here because they were looking for something different. In fact, almost two-thirds of us were not born here. I was surprised that it was even... I thought it was an even smaller percentage of that, but when I looked at the numbers, um, our, our grandparents, our parents, they're not from here. We're not from here. We don't have childhood memories that stretch into the desert. You know, things looked way different. Summer break, you could actually be outside. Um, um, Christmas lights are supposed to go through the snow. Uh, it's just, it's just a, a little different. Uh, Halloween, um, wow, in Arizona, you can actually wear a Halloween costume and not have to have a big parka over it. So people, it's amazing. So 
Um, but most of us moved here statistically for school or a job, relationship, the weather, just something different. Um, and some were probably glad to move. Others maybe came here kicking and screaming. Um, turn to the person, oh, by the way, okay, so uh, guess uh, the percentage, some of you will know. What percentage of us, what number uh, are not from the valley? Did I already say? Did I just shut it up? 70, a little lower than 70. 62%. I, I really did think it would be like 80%, uh, 90%. But because when you talk to people, like you meet somebody that's from here and you're like, wow, you're the unicorn in the room. So, um, right? So who, who is from Arizona originally? Who, who grew up, born and bred? Yeah. All right. Well, that explains a lot looking at the... No, I'm just kidding. But for lots of others, uh, we came here. You built your life. You pursued a career. You... Maybe tried making this big change to leave things behind. Maybe some people came here wanting to leave behind an addiction or an unhealthy relational pattern. And maybe it's gone really well. Maybe you made the move and whew, it made all the difference. Maybe you made the move and it's been a disaster. And when it's been a disaster, or even when it's gone well, I think sometimes it's easy to feel disappointed about the way that things have gone. Kind of question like, why am I here? Um, because there's this void in us whether like the life that we're constructing seems to be working uh, or it's not working, there is uh, something that haunts our heart because no matter how we succeed or fail in making a life for ourselves, uh, specifically we'll say here, there's still this deep yearning in us because th the building of our own little mini kingdom never quiets that gnawing question, why am I really here? It never quiets that question no matter how hard we try, we still wonder, what, what am I here for? What am I really here for? We'll get back to that thought in a minute, but um, the scriptures that I was looking at for today uh, led me down a path that I thought, well, I can't just read those scriptures out of context. I hate doing that. So uh, there's a story that we're going to tell, um, or that I'm just going to give you a brief story from the people of God in the Old Testament. Uh, it's the people of God, the, the Jews, they are in exile. And one place that we read about one of their exiles was through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, think about being a prophet, like not an easy job. Um, prophets were called by God to speak to the people and deliver his message. And too often, at least, it seems like there were lots and lots of warnings or instructions that they're heading the wrong direction. But God would call these prophets to go to these messed up people, right? People that were consumed by their own ideas about what life should look like and what they should be pursuing and what their dreams and plans of ways of living were and why they were going to follow their own path. And the prophets then would come specifically to the people of God and have the wonderful, pleasant job of telling the people that they were wrong, right? You're heading in the wrong direction, they'd tell them. Uh, destruction sometimes, that would be a fun one, right? Destruction is coming if you don't change your ways. Uh, there's probably a small percentage of us in the room that thinks that would be a really fun job, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of those. Um, I don't love to be in conflict with people. Uh, but now apply that to this guy, Jeremiah, the prophet, because his people at the time, they'd gotten themselves into a really ugly mess as a consequence for rejecting and betraying the heart of God. Now, Jeremiah's one prophet, the people are exiled, 
and um, these other prophets actually made Jeremiah's job as a prophet really hard because these other prophets were false prophets and they were giving horrible advice. They were giving terrible ideas and advice to the people of God. They were giving the people of God actually false hope. So let me give you a little more backstory. The, the people of Israel had been captured by Babylon. And when the Babylonians captured and conquered another nation, the way that they would keep the people under control, instead of having to leave a giant you know, army in every place, what they would do is they would go into each city and town, and they would find the leaders, they would find the artists, they would find the creative folks, because the Babylonians knew that those were the folks that could bring hope, that could bring restoration, inspiration, which would then inspire the vanquished people, you know, to reunite and fight for freedom. So they would take those folks, the kings, the priests, the designers, the people that could rebuild a society. And, and um, these folks, by the way, often came from family lines who had generational secrets. Their trades were passed down from one generation to the next, so they knew how to do this stuff when it, the time would come. And the Babylonians were like, uh-uh, we're going to snatch all those people up and then randomly dump them in Babylonian cities and keep them separated. So if you're one of those leaders, you'd be separated from your friends, from your families. Your influence would be neutralized. And it's just hard to imagine being one of those exiled people. I suppose maybe like refugees experience having to run from their homeland, uh, you know, many refugees that come back in their country, they were really well respected. They were physicians or doctors, and here they're having a hard time getting a job working in a factory. And on top of that, some people are uh, nasty to them, is even a nice way to say it, because of where they've come from, assuming that you know, refugees are stealing jobs or all kinds of nonsense. But they didn't want to leave their homeland. Just like the people of Israel, they don't even know the language most of the time. They don't know the culture. And the exiles of Israel, they didn't know the way of life in Babylonian culture. It was very foreign to them. They didn't know how to survive in a different society, maybe even how to find work or a job. And so these exiles from Israel um, also had then their enemies ruling over them. So they're displaced, different culture, different language, all their specialties don't matter anymore, and their enemies are now ruling over them. Pretty bleak picture, right? And that's probably why the false prophets from Israel would come in and say, hey, listen, guys, I know it's hard right now, but just hang on. You're not going to be out of here for very long. God's going to return you in a few years to, to Jerusalem and the homeland, so just grit your teeth, just bear it. It'll be over soon, which sounds really good, right? Right? Like if you were banished somewhere you didn't want to be, wouldn't that be a wonderful message to hear? Wouldn't that be a re huge relief? Like when, 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 when we're facing pain, when there's difficulty in our circumstance, when you feel displaced, maybe if you feel removed from your home or your homeland, uh, maybe unable to worship in the way that you did before, um, you can't communicate with folks because they've got different ideas or maybe even different languages. Like if that was your current reality... I think, if you're like me, you might kind of want that message from the false prophets that says, hey, just hang on, it's almost over, it's not going to be long, God's going to take you right back to Jerusalem, right? Wouldn't that be? I'd, I'd, I'd be down with that. I'd be like, hey, cool, I hope they're right. <laughs> but, and that's what most of the prophets were saying, 
that were raised up among the exiles, so they were all glad to hear it. But Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem, and God has a word for him to deliver to the exiles, so he writes a letter that goes to them, and Jeremiah basically says, no, that's wrong. The false prophets are wrong. You're not getting out of this. In fact, Babylon is going to burn Jerusalem down. It's going to be really bad. In fact, your generation, all of you exiles, you're not going to make it home ever. It's going to be 70 years until the people of Israel are allowed to go back home, and most of you will be dead by then. Um, So can you imagine, like, if you were getting that letter from Jeremiah, like, here you've got a bunch of people that are claiming to be prophets right next to you saying, hey, don't worry, it's going to be good, it's all going to be fine, and then this other prophet saying, no, nope, they're going to die there. (laughs) Um, Who would you like better, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd be hoping these guys maybe were right. So again, Jeremiah writes this letter to the people of Israel, which is the passage, again, that I wanted to do and use for today as we talk about having a heart for our city, but I thought I can't just jump in and throw verses up there without explaining their context, because some of it does connect and relate. Um, Jeremiah writes this letter to the exiles that were outside in Babylon, the ones who hoped that the false prophets were right. Here's what he tells them. This is a section of it. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. He writes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there over in Babylon. Increase, don't decrease. Verse 7, also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray for it. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. Now, for the rest of this message, I want to look at those verses because um, I wanted to, I want us to consider how these passages inform us as followers of Jesus in a different culture and time. Um, and how God might be speaking to us through these passages from Jeremiah. Because these weren't just written down as a story to read. God's word goes out to us today, and oftentimes they intersect and connect, and I do think this is one of those passages. Now, before we get into that, we have spent a lot of time the last couple of months looking at how we are the people of God, like we are the church, it's not the building, We, the people of God, are the church, and we are called then not to just gather here all the time. This is like a locker room where we're encouraged and coached and get some healing and training, but we go out there into our everyday lives, and that's where we are the church. We, the people of God, love and serve and bless people outside of these walls, and we're in the series that we're calling The Heartbeat of Hope, and today I want to look at having a heart for our city. And by the way, if you're somebody who loves it here in the valley, right, um, or you can kind of relate to the exiles, like, yeah, I feel like an exile, like, when am I ever going to get out of the desert? Uh, Or if you're somebody who, um, this has been your home, Arizona's your home, Um, no matter which of those categories holds true for you, I think we all have a question to answer as followers of Jesus who live here in you know, Chandler, Tempe, Gilbert, Mesa, and the surrounding areas. And here's the question that I believe that we need to look at this morning, it's this. So, why are we here? And why are you here? What brought you and why are you in the Chandler, Tempe, Gilbert, Mesa, the East Valley area? Why has God brought you to the city that you currently live in? What is his purpose for you 
in the city that you currently are living in. Um, a lot of people think, well, I moved here for the weather, right? Lots of people think that's why they came here for, but God has a bigger purpose, a bigger intention um, for why you are here. Maybe you thought, well, I came here for a job or a better economic opportunity. I came here for a relationship. I came here for a fresh start. Um, those are all good reasons, but God has a purpose above that that he wants us to be asking, okay, now that you're here, now why are you here? Because it actually doesn't matter um, why you stayed here if you've lived here all along or why you packed up the U-Haul uh, and, and came here because God is with you wherever you go. So wherever you are as a follower of Jesus, he intends for you and I to be a blessing to the city that we live in. See, God has a desire and a purpose for you and for me in this city. And as the people of Hope Covenant Church, God has a desire and a purpose for us as a church family. So now that we're here, now that we live here, East Valley, and since we're one of the people of God, here's the plan. Ready? Here's the plan. Verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Right? We're supposed to build houses and settle down. Um, we're supposed to plant gardens. We're supposed to eat what they produce. And we'll keep going in the text in a moment. But listen, whether you love it here or not, um, you're probably not leaving anytime soon, right? <laughs> and, and, and even if you're certain, like, I know I'm leaving this place, I'm, even if I'm a short timer, listen, even if that's the case for you, if you are a follower of Jesus, then the place that God has you right now, he has an intention for you to be a blessing and to love and serve this city, this area, to improve what's around us and make it a better place. Um, see, uh, we've been talking about the past few months being the people of God, right? That's you and me. And so the people of God are called to bless and be a blessing, just like Abraham was in Genesis 12. And we will bless all peoples of the world. God will, through us, bless all peoples of the world. That's his plan. And so when Jeremiah writes, build houses and settle down, right? He's saying, make a home for yourself here. Plant Gardens, I think, uh, alludes to a way that we can put down roots here to actually do life and, and not just have a house that we inhabit and have our own little compound, but, but to do life here, to invite God to help us cultivate, um, for God to cultivate in us, let me say it that way, for God to cultivate in us, in our lives, a heart for our neighborhood, a heart for our city. Um, Heidi and I have been praying that for a while. And about a month ago, we, uh, Heidi and I and Noah, we moved over to Chandler. Uh, it's just a couple miles from here. We wanted to do something right around here, but holy smokes, we live in an expensive neighborhood here. We church in an expensive neighborhood here. Um, so we're a couple miles away. Um, and the truth is, we had lived out in East Mesa. I liked our simple little house. No maintenance uh, in the yard. It was wonderful. I didn't even really mind our little 21-minute freeway, all-freeway commute. Um, I lived in that area for 19 years. Noah, from the time before he was one, has been there. Uh, went to school over there before ending up in ASU. Um, I know the stories of the people in that neighborhood. I, uh, my parents... Um, and Heidi's mom lived close by where we were out in that area. 
Um, and by the way, I love the Superstition Mountains. Sorry, those of you that think South Mountain's awesome. Just go play out in Superstition sometime this winter. But it's, it's, it's gorgeous. So I loved it out there. But exactly, um, oh, and on top of that, housing was way cheaper out there than it was here. We found that out really quick. Um, but exactly one year ago, I didn't realize this until a couple days ago, one year ago this weekend, the members of Hope voted to call me to be the lead pastor here. Um, most, most of the members voted too, but it was enough to, you know, bring us in, so. <laughs> and Heidi and I are honored to be here at Hope. And at that point, what we had already been considering, we knew we needed to make a move toward, and we thought we'd do it sooner, but uh, we knew we needed to move closer here to the Hope neighborhood. Um, and listen, you know, why? Why would we do that? Well, listen, a shorter commute is nice. That's what most people say. Wow, that commute's got to be great. And, and it's true. It is a lot shorter. Uh, I love not having to fight that every day. But that's not the reason that we moved. Um, we knew that if we were going to pastor a church in Chandler, if we're going to pastor one here, then we need to live in Chandler. Uh, we need to learn to identify with the people of Chandler and again, listen, if you live in Mesa, Gilbert, Ahwatukee, Tempe, uh, Gilbert, that's cool. Um, and we want you to keep you know, being a part of the family here. But for me, as the lead pastor, um, I knew that if I don't have a heart for our city, uh, or it's going to be awfully hard for me to develop a heart for our city, for me, uh, if I don't live here and fully invest myself in our city and the future of our church. So... I hate moving. <laughs> oh, man, I hate moving. But we moved. Um, we knew that we needed to make this area our home. And again, listen, if you're not living right here in Chandler, um, this really, in some ways, it's odd for a small church to be a regional church. But lots of you come from all over, and I'm so glad for that. But as we look forward to where more folks are going to be joining this church family and where more people are going to be reached and where folks are going to be... Um, you know, where our influence is going to spread out, it's probably going to be closer in proximity. And so we still want everybody to come from anywhere because Hope is a unique and wonderful, wonderful home. Um, but I know that the impact that we're probably going to have as a church is in the 10 to 15 minute um, driving distance from here. So we wanted to be here. We moved in. We're making a home for ourselves in the San Marcos area over in, in Chandler here. We're, we're putting down roots. We're trying to learn to be a light to our neighborhood and get to know our neighbors, where we can bless people, where we can show them the heart of Jesus for them, and not just do it by bringing them here, although we want to bring them here. We do. But we want to do it out there, outside the walls. We want to show them Jesus' heart for them out there in our neighborhoods and in our homes. And friends, no matter where you live, no matter where you're at, uh, followers of Jesus are called by God to go into their cities, to the area, to the neighborhood you live in. So you're going to be here for a while. You might as well invest and get connected, put down roots, make a home for yourself, and care about the people and the places um, because people like you and me are the ones that are responsible for taking care of um, the, the areas right around us, for building it up, for making it better and better. Next verse here, let's look at verse 6. God tells them to marry and increase. Uh, have sons and daughters, wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they'll have sons and daughters. Sounds like a grandpa speaking right there. Um, increase in number, do not decrease. 
And I believe, again, he means that literally there. And I think God also is pointing out, friends, don't put your life on hold, right? Do life, right? Do life. Do life right where you're at. Don't put it on hold. Celebrate and enter in wherever God has you at. And increase. The increase, I think, points to having influence, that you and I get to enrich our community, that we get to make a better home and a better life for everybody around us by using our influence and our connections to make it a better place for all. And then next verse, verse seven, is where we're gonna spend a little bit of time here. Also, God says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, again, this is where I started. I remembered and was thinking about this verse, and then as I read more, I was like, oh, we really have to unpack the rest of that. But this is where I really wanted to get to, because to me, this is the really big stuff. Shift your mind back for a moment to the story of the Jewish exiles, and remember how hard it would be for them to hear and engage in a verse like this, right? You're in exile, But instead of undermining or subverting or weakening the city that you've been dragged to so that hopefully it'll be weak enough for you to escape and get out of there, instead of doing that, the exiles are called to seek the peace and prosperity of their city. And I got to thinking, you know, if God called them in that situation to be praying for peace and prosperity, uh, how much more is that true and important for us to do? for us to seek the peace and prosperity of our cities, of our places in the East Valley, for us to seek the peace and prosperity of Chandler and Gilbert and Tempe and Mesa and all the areas around us. Now, this word um, peace and prosperity in the verse here, uh, the actual word used in the Hebrew is, is shalom, And they use two words, but it's just one word in in the uh, original text here um, because we don't have a very good descriptor. We don't have a very good, it would take a long list of words to come up with what shalom actually translates as. So um, shalom is identified as the word peace, but it's another depth of peace that we don't have that specific word. So they throw in words like, you know, uh, peace and prosperity, or peace and health, or peace and well-being, that to give a better round, rounding to the idea of shalom, and this would be a wonderful teaching to just do sometime about shalom, but, but I just want to say a couple things about shalom and what it is that we're supposed to bring to our cities and what we're seeking for our cities in, when we seek shalom. Um, shalom is not a feeling, it's a state of being. It's not a feeling of peace, it's a state of being. Shalom is this concept of, of wholeness, of, of tranquility. Um, to complete something, to make it sound is another uh, phrase used to translate it. Uh, you can think of a picture of shalom would be like the finishing of a, of a building project. That would be shalom. Shalom would be the repayment of a debt. Ah, that's the state of being with that repaid. And so that's the kind of stuff we're looking for when we bring shalom and we aim at shalom. It's the health and the healing of the whole being, right? Not just spiritual health or peace, not just that, but, but also a physical, emotional kind of health that impacts our entire being with wholeness and health and peace. But 
as these verses right here remind us, because a lot of times we think of shalom, oh, I just would really love to experience shalom in my life. But, but shalom is not just a peace, the shalom for me as an individual. God calls us to seek the shalom, the peace of the whole land. For the cities, for the neighborhoods that we dwell in, we are to bring shalom. And it involves working with God to bring the vibrancy, the life, the vitality that only the Spirit of God can bring. In fact, my uh, friend Abby Jones, who's a pastor up at Paradise Community, she says, shalom is the whole point of everything that we do as Christians. She says, to bring shalom is our mission above all missions. And Jesus talks about this when, when he um, refers to peace or shalom in John chapter 20. He's speaking to the disciples who at that point are scared to death that they're going to die the same kind of death that he died, but he rose again, but they're still scared. And that's when Jesus says to them, peace, right, my shalom, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So Jesus is saying to them and he's saying to us, Followers of Christ, Christians, those of you that follow me, Jesus is saying, you're going to go out into a dark and violent and chaotic world. You are going to be sent to the city that I have you in. You are going out there, and you're going to do everything that you can to bring a peace, a shalom to the places around you, because that's your purpose. That's why God has you here, friends. And that's why God has put you right where you are, so that you can extend his peace and shalom right around you. Now, this shalom is really practical, and um, I'll show you a picture. Thanks, bud. I forgot that in my office, and Noah is awesome and when it got it for me. Um, there's a village, um, and I'm not, it's a close country, so I'm, I'm not going to tell you. It's in Southeast Asia, and the people in this typical village were in deep poverty. There were a handful of Christians. There's about 700 people that lived in this area that expands beyond this right here, and the Christians for decades had just kind of staggered along and just... Not a lot of people would come to Jesus, and it was a pretty rough place to live. Deep, deep poverty. Uh, the Christians as well. And then, um, I mean, they would say that sickness is normal, that the poverty is inevitable. We don't really have a choice. We can't really do anything about it. But then they began to learn that God calls us to the shalom, to the tending of the people around us. God calls us not to just get out there and preach the gospel at people and get them to say some prayers so they don't go to heaven when they die. God calls us to go out there and love and serve the people around us. So these guys had struggled for decades. The Christians in this village had struggled for decades for anybody to come and follow Jesus, and they were pretty anemic in their own walk as well, but when they began to learn about loving and serving their community, they saw things change. In fact, um, one of the first big projects that they did was to build some roads that would help get people from their fields to the main road so they could transport their crops. Well, suddenly, instead of being in abject poverty, people started to make more money, and suddenly they were coming out of poverty just because the church cared enough to build roads. And the church kept asking, well, what else can we do to love and serve our neighbors? Not preach at them, just love and serve, no strings attached. And they would do more and more just kind of acts of love. Suddenly, the church didn't become known as this weird group of 
you know, Christians that must have got that from some Western missionary somewhere. Suddenly people saw it in action. They saw love in action. And over a couple of years, they did things like build bridges. They, they were illiterate almost, but they still figured out how to build bridges. They started to influence their government. Um, they started to see marriages change and over time, just a couple years worth, that church itself was transformed. And I'm, I brought the book just to make sure that I'm reading it right. Uh, by the third year of them doing these acts of love, 90% of this community of 700 people had professed faith in Christ, attended church, and tithed regularly. 90%. And before that, it was a handful, all because these people started to ask God, how can we love and serve? How can we bring the shalom to places of need in our community? It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I won't get deep into this one just because of time, but there's a, a covenant church in the Illinois area. Um, it uh, was pastored by Lance Davis at the time, and they saw their neighborhoods, their cities, the broken down houses around them, and they decided to do something about it. And Stacy and I were talking about this, but they decided they were gonna do something about this. There's a lot of people with no jobs, the housing was just terrible, lack of education on down the line, and this church decided that they were gonna make a huge, huge difference. They decided that they were gonna make a difference, so they actually partnered with the denomination in that area, that conference um, of the Covenant Churches, to help with some funding and some different um, things that would help their plan go forward. And Stacy, wasn't it when, when you heard how many houses was it? Do you remember the number? I, I, had, I won't use the number, but it was a lot. So the assumption, I thought the same thing. I was like, wow, it must be a really big church to, to really have made that big of an impact and done that many houses. Um, they're same size or smaller than us, right? Yeah, I was like, wow. What God will do through a group of people who, who are focused on bringing his love, his shalom to the people in their city um, is amazing. In that city now, the blighted homes are restored. They hired people to do the restoration, which taught them some skills for construction and up the job market. And that town is coming out of poverty because this little church partnered up with a, not a ton of funding, but partnered up uh, with enough to get things rolling. And God went to work. He went to work. And so it makes me wonder what God has for us here at Hope. A heart for our city where we pray for the peace and prosperity, the shalom of, of Chandler and the areas right around us. Um, I mean, we do some great things inside and outside these walls. There's many things over the years that have happened here at Hope that are worthy of applause. But in this new season, as we're retooling and moving in and focusing in on some of this stuff, the question that some of you have heard before uh, keeps dogging my mind. If our church disappeared tomorrow, would anyone notice? If our church, if this poof just was gone, besides people, you know, that attend weekend services or are a part of some of the things here, would anybody else in our immediate neighborhood or in the miles or two around us, would they care if the whole thing just evaporated, poof, gone? And honestly, that question makes me nervous, but I like it because it pushes me to this question, where is God inviting us, you and me, Hope family, to join him in bringing shalom to our city? Where is it that he's doing that? See, people have moved uh, 
to Chandler Gilbert, to the East Valley. I mean, Chandler started out uh, when, when A.J. Chandler, Dr. Chandler, opened a town site office with speculators purchasing land and stuff. There were three buildings. There was a grocery store, the town you know, center shack where you could buy that, buy your plot of land and, and a dining hall. That was it. And over the decades, Chandler has grown and grown and grown, just like the rest of our Maricopa County and lots of people are doing well. Um, Chandler is a fairly prosperous city. Um, somebody said to me, and I couldn't find the stat, but they said this week, somebody that knows our area well, that it is one of the wealthiest areas per capita. And I thought, wow, two blocks from my house, you would never think that that's true. Um, holy smokes. How, how is the disparity happening like that? And then what can we do about it? So it's really easy to think, hey, you know, I used to work at a big church. Hey, we're just going to go out and everybody's going to jump in and we're going to make a big difference uh, and serve once a year. And um, okay, that's cool. That's good. Um, But what about just even us deciding and focusing in on some projects? Which I'll tell you about two things real quick. One is being honed and researched as we go. um, And it's been done over the years, San Marcos School. Um, is something that we're even getting a better laser focus on how we can love and serve because just a couple miles from here are kids that are disadvantaged in lots of ways. It's a Title I school, which means that they um, need breakfast and lunch fed to them every day to make sure that they get to eat. Um, Kelly, was tell- Kelly White was telling me about uh, the teachers saying, hey, um, when the year starts, the school year starts, wow, those kids are eating and there's no food left. She's like, we start to realize, okay, they're finally getting nourished uh, a few weeks or a month or so in when there's a little bit of food left because <laughs> they're not just devouring it all. Um, wow, that's just right here, right down the street. It's a couple blocks from where Heidi and I can live. We can look out on the street and see it down. It's close by, friends. It's close by, and so... Um, Stacy and a team are working with how we can engage, and that's a long-term thing to do. And you know, not everybody, we're not going to be able to accommodate every person in this room to, to if we all said, hey, we're all in, let's do something. Um, we don't need, you know, 200 people to, <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice. I'm sure they'd come up with some stuff for us. But, but what are some other simple ways? And one simple way for us to even just step in is the thing that's happening next Saturday. Instead of us saying, hey, we're going to go out and find some needs and just our little church do our little thing and help a few places, which is fine and good, uh, we found that the whole city uh, is doing a For Our City Day. And we're serving alongside businesses and other churches. And um, our teams are going to go out and we're signed up. um, And I sure hope we have enough people to do it uh, to have granite haulers. So if you want to shovel granite and haul and dump and spread it, uh, we've got slots for you. Um, Heidi and I are going to be on the paint crew. Troy, are you guys on that show? Yeah, yeah we're, we're, that'll be the fun crew. Um, wait, who's on the granite crew? Do some people already? I know there are some that were signed up, but they're fun too. Oh, there you go. Randy Kiesel. You get to hang out with Randy. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll be on that granite crew. Um, and then some of you might be like, I can't paint or haul granite. Hey, that's okay. There's a ton of people from lots of organizations out there. We need some people to run around and keep us all hydrated. So there is the water team as well. And so in fact, every row on this side, reach underneath, grab the clipboard. That's you, Mikey. Grab the clipboard and grab a pen from the seat pocket in front of you. And then I want you to pass it down because I know not everybody's going to stop out there and sign up. And if you haven't already signed up, 
Um, just sign up and what your preference is so we know how many people to tell them to get ready for. Uh, we had given them a number that we thought, well, that's kind of a small but a reasonable number. I would love to see us blow that away and have a lot more people jumping in to help. So as those go down the rows here, um, I, I just want to say, friends, again, it's such an honor to be here in a church and a people that love and serve as well as the people of hope do. Like, you guys get it. This message is mostly preaching to the choir because you guys do this so well and have done it so well. It's the kind of church that God has put in us. This DNA is in us to love and serve. My friends, again, let's return to that verse. Um, It says that we must pray for our city. We must seek the peace and prosperity of our city, of Chandler, of the East Valley, to pray for the shalom. And friends, because love acts and you and I get to jump into these places of need in the cities and neighborhoods and schools around us, um, we get to make an impact. We get to do it. It's amazing what God will do through us. And so here's the question. Here's the prayer. And as the worship team comes, I want us to pray. I want us to be listening to God and ask him, God, where would you want us to serve? Where would you want me to serve? Um, Speak to me, God. I am listening. See, there's lots of other opportunities besides San Marcos School, besides this one-off, one-day thing. These are just things that we can do together where I think we can make even a greater impact together. But it's important to love and serve your city every day, every day, to have the heart of God for people around you every day. And I know that he's put that in us because I see that so often through the incredible servant hearts of the people in this church community. And so I'm excited because I believe in this next season when we start pulling together on some of these different areas and we don't try to do, you know, 20 things just a little bit, but we look for a few things to do really well. I think that God through our community is going to make such an impact that it will blow people away. And like Stacy and I were thinking with those houses, oh, that must be a giant, huge church. No, no, it's the same size as ours. (laughs) Um, I believe God wants to do something like that in and through us. God, I pray as we just take this next song to offer our hearts to you, to allow you to speak to us um, about our opportunity to be the church together. I thank you, God, for open hearts. I thank you, God, for open eyes. I thank you for this community of people who are so responsive to you and to your heart in Jesus' name.